Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com, follow us on Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. Right now on KSL Plus. All of these things have added new layers of work that typically and historically didn't exist. On September 26, 2021, police say a house party escalated into shots fired. One year later, the suspect is still behind bars, charged with critically injuring a woman and killing Aaron Lowe, a University of Utah football player. Prosecutors say the amount of digital evidence they have to go through is dragging out the case against his accused killer. Cell phone data, ring cameras, social media, body cameras. The district attorney's office says it all adds to their workload as they work to prosecute cases like the shooting that killed Aaron Lowe. I'm Matt Rascone, and this week we look into the impacts a growing amount of digital evidence is having on the investigation and prosecution of criminal cases. So for us as prosecutors, it's about recovering that evidence. It's about going through the, the plethora of that evidence that's there. First, my conversation with Salt Lake County District Attorney Sim Gill. I think the timing, the, re- the reason why we're drawn to this today is because it has been one year. And I know that uh, you're not going to get into the details of the yeah. case, but where, where does that case stand today? It's in the, uh, in the you know, it's in that process, discovery, preliminary hearing, uh, post-prelim, uh, you get into um, any motions, and so you're on that track. And the, in that process, you're, of course, continuing to gather evidence, continuing to uh, uh, follow up on any other uh, unfinished sort of things that you might need to do. And so it's a ongoing process. Uh, you continue to build your case, you continue to uh, continue to go through the evidence, so it's just an active, engaged process. And when you have multiple murders, then that, uh, as a prosecutor, uh, those are the multiple different things you're working on. My understanding is we're we're waiting to get to that preliminary hearing. Right. Um, is it uh, is this timeline? If we look at you know. It's been a year, yeah. and now I think it's scheduled yeah, to February. Yeah, especially What's that like? because especially uh, when you have uh, an aggravated murder allegation, right? And uh, so you want to make sure that everything is done uh, uh, by the book. Uh, everybody is given a lot of uh, um, room, if you will, uh, to make sure that they have their issues uh, identified and raised. And homicide cases and aggravated murders generally take a longer timeline than your traditional prosecution of your cases. 
So it's not uncommon uh, that a uh, aggravated case can be can take a year and a half, two years, sometimes three years. We've had longer, just depending on the issues that drive that case. Judge, we're looking to continue. We're set for next Friday for a full day, and we're looking to continue that out uh, at least a couple of months. In a recent scheduling hearing for the defendant, prosecutors asked the judge for more time to show proof he committed the crime. Well, I'll tell you, the bad news is it may be more than a couple of months to get another all-day preliminary hearing. And the judge asked why. What's the reason for the continuance? Prosecutors pointed to digital evidence. Did we just have a lot more stuff to dig through? This is sort of a, I don't know, something we're going to have to work out on all of these ag murders is the amount of time it used to take to get prepared has been tripled because now everything's like piles and piles of cell phone data and videos and it takes a long time to go through them. Well, I mean, look, uh, uh, post-COVID, right now at the Salt Lake County Jail, more than 80% of the people who are being held there are there on violent offenses and often murders. Uh, As the court process opens up, those have been waiting in the queue, and new cases are behind them. So we're going through as quickly as we can, along with the court, uh, to facilitate those dates uh, as we can. So both the nature of this kind of uh, uh, case takes uh, typically time, and when you have multiple murders that may be sitting in the queue because uh, uh, as we uh, start to normalize court functions, uh, they're just going to be worked through. Uh, this is something, uh, you know, I meet with the, on a conference call every six to eight weeks with all prosecutors from around the country. Uh, this is something that prosecutors around the country are all facing anywhere from 12 to 36 months of backlogs to work those cases through. And the more uh, difficult, or especially like murder cases, those just queue up. Good evening, everyone, and thanks for joining us here tonight. It's been one year since University of Utah football player Aaron Lowe was shot and killed. And the case against his accused killer keeps getting pushed back in court. New specialist Matt In Rascal one sense, has technology has really made it, uh, 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 given us uh, additional evidence uh, almost first-hand witness, eyewitness sort of evidence, if you will, uh, whether it is in the form of body-worn cameras, whether it's in the form of our cell phones, whether it's in the form of ring uh, 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 devices, uh, social media, etc. So uh, there are many different ways and many different players who can gather that evidence. So for us as prosecutors, it's about recovering that evidence. It's about going through the, the plethora of that evidence that's there and to, and, and to making sure that uh, what, what it, identifying what it is, making sure that we review it all. So for, take, for example, um, uh, body-worn cameras uh, that we take now for granted on police officers. Mm. Uh, you can have a very simple offense like a public intoxication. You can have the initial respo- uh, 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 responding officer, a backup officer. Sometimes you may have a trainee, and all three of them could have their body-worn camera going on. So now that's something uh, we have to review that we didn't have to review. Uh, and those can be 15 minutes, 20 minutes, 30 minutes, and those all have to be reviewed. Those have to be make sure that there's nothing that's there protected. So some Sometimes if they're minor ch- children, those have to be redacted. So all of these things have added uh, new layers of work that typically and historically didn't exist. And then you add to it social media, you add to it other uh, uh, private entities that may have uh, digital uh, uh, evidence that's available from private cameras, uh, etc. That just is a, while it's a plethora of evidence, it's also that has to be cataloged, reviewed, and processed, and then delivered through discovery. So it's just added more work. And, and it's not just like uh, audio and video, right? I mean, yeah. the phones have 
like yes. you can track your location. Yeah, and, you know, yeah, yeah. Like I, so there are there are uh, with the advent of technology, there are different ways to look at that. Now you have to always get search warrants. You still have to go through that process, which is a a process, but. There is a, a wealth of information that's out there uh, with this new technology, um, both in private hands, in public hands, in government agencies. And uh, you and I can't drive down the street without probably being picked up by 10 different uh, video cameras uh, from 10 different locations. Well, if we know that that's, uh, if I have an idea of the route that you might have taken, then we are going back and canvassing. Uh, every time there's an incident, you're going back and canvassing to see where this person may have come up from, and can we backtrack, can we follow this person's movements, so that you find yourself doing that. Social media posts, different kinds of things, you're looking at all of that now, uh, so it's widened that uh, scope of the available evidence to you, and as well as the time and effort it takes to process it and gather it. You mentioned uh, time and effort, so how, how much is it pushing back some of these trials. Yeah, well, you know, I think, I think, you know, we have an ethical duty to make sure that whatever we may rely upon uh, to review and turn it over to defense counsel. So it's about, uh, it, it is about that extra stuff. Now, for example, certainly we have both the misdemeanor prosecutions at the Salt Lake City Prosecutor's Office and the District Attorney's Office. And then, of course, so think about all the law enforcement agencies that may have body warrant camera. Uh, think about how they may respond to a call out for service. Back doors open. Let me see your hand. Hands. Drop the gun. When is that? Uh, when is that camera engaged? When does it end? Uh, and the incident might be somewhere in the middle of that, right? So you have to review all all of that that's there. When I talk to my uh, misdemeanor prosecutors, even in uh, not in the felony prosecutions. That has meant uh, hundreds of uh, uh, hours uh, that they have to now review that historically they didn't have to do. So we've even talked about, as we sift through it uh, at the city prosecution level, uh, about uh, asking for one or two additional people whose job would be nothing more than to go through and review through the wealth of uh, all that uh, digital camera information that they have from body-worn cameras. Uh, and, uh, and then, of course, at the district attorney's level, uh, our cases can be f uh, felonies, uh, there can be more complicated, more complex cases, and there may, may be multiple layers of digital evidence that might be available, as I mentioned. Everything from body-worn cameras to private uh, uh, phones to, uh, to social media to canvassing of private and business residences that may have open uh, cameras and recording devices that might be there. So it's, it's that layering of that information that has to be processed. How has your office kept up with that? I mean, have, uh, or is that adding staff? Uh, well, it, it is, well, it is adding work. Uh, so, you know, uh, in one sense, you're, uh, it can be the difference between a successful prosecution or solving of a case uh, or not uh, uh, by the uh, availability of this evidence. So it certainly has uh, helped us solve cases and close cases that we otherwise might not be able to. It's helped us fill gaps, evidentiary gaps, uh, by uh, running a trail of, uh, of the movement or the, this digital evidence that might be there. So it's given us more robustness. Uh, but at the same time, it comes with uh, a price of uh, extra work. So, so it's a it's a sort of a love and hate relationship, if you will, right? So we're grateful for it, but it requires uh, cataloging, sifting through, uh, reviewing 
uh, and uh, you know uh, when this uh, technology came in, a lot of law enforcement agencies were very excited, and I and I think it's a very good positive enhancement for our community and for our process. But then you have to talk about storage, you have to talk about preservation, you have to talk about making sure the right chain of custody is there. So all these other things started to add up onto us as well. Right. Yeah. And I imagine it, it has, um, I mean, if, it, if it's been prolonging some of these cases and things, there is that impact on the victim, the family, sure. and, you know, these cases as well, it, we're just but, waiting. But it's also giving us accuracy. It's also giving us thoroughness. It is also giving us sometimes a eyewitness account, which other times might have been missing. Uh, uh, it can give us tone. It can give us uh, demeanor. It can give us the, the visual presence of that person in, a, in an active scenario, right? So, so uh, I, I think that uh, it, you know, it's, it's the plus and minuses of that new technology. It's, it's made our job better and, uh, and more thorough. Uh, but it also means that when you add that extra information onto it, it has to be processed. It has to be preserved uh, for criminal prosecution. So there's pluses and minuses from it. But overall, I think it's worth the effort. tonight about a criminal case against a retired attorney from the Utah Attorney General's office. In a completely separate case, my colleague Daniela Rivera found an example of how pouring through digital evidence is dragging out an ongoing police investigation. Gary Bell is a retired attorney in the Utah Attorney General's office. He's facing charges of possessing and producing child pornography. Uh, when you start looking at these types of cases, and a lot of them contain some intimate images, we've got to be incredibly delicate with it. We've got to be very, very fragile um, with our investigation to make sure that we are, we are following the protocols that are in place. But before those charges led to his arrest in September, he was the subject of an internal investigation in the Attorney General's office involving his pornography use on his work computer. In a statement to the KSL investigators, they say because he was an employee and because of concerns about the extent of his pornography use on a work computer, our office turned the evidence over to Sandy Police Department, an outside law enforcement agency, to avoid a conflict of interest. The investigation is ongoing. But that was two years ago. No charges were filed, so we asked Sandy PD, what's taking so long? That's a valid question as to why would it take so long. Uh, when we start looking at cases where they involve um, digital data, any sort of data in that, or de several devices or even um, some particular devices, we can't just open those up and with a couple keystrokes see what it is that's on there. Most of these files, uh, without getting into the nitty gritty of things, a lot of them are protected, a lot of them are encrypted. We also have a search warrant process we have to go through. So as we start working through some of that data, it's, it's painstakingly slow in some cases. Um, and when you're collecting uh, forensic digital evidence, um, unfortunately it does take some time. So it, they're, they're not, it's, I wish it was as simple as it would, you know, on TV where it's a couple of keystrokes and, you know, in a matter of seconds, you have everything you absolutely need. It's not necessarily the case. It does take some time.
has this left any case just sort of uh, kick the case off to the side because there's just so much to go through it? Well, there can be. There can be sometimes, right? Um, I mean, we do that sometimes with uh, officer-involved shootings. Uh, we are very lucky to have some of that uh, digital information and cameras because that gives us uh, a understanding of what happened. Um, so I think, I, I think while it may sometimes slow a process down, I think the accuracy that we get from it, uh, the, the, the factual understanding that we get of what, uh, what has transpired, uh, I, uh, I, there's no substitute for that. So I think in that sense, it's a net gain for us. I imagine if it's, you know, if it's taking its toll as far as te- the workload for your office, that it would be similar for a police department as well. Does that mean cases are getting to you later, would you no, say? No, I think, I, think, I think it's just an additional layer of stuff that you have to do. Right now, that's standardized with, with law enforcement because they put on their camera if, they, if they're wearing body worn cameras. They have a process and protocol of when to start it, right? Right. And, and that's simultaneous to their reports that they're gathering, the other things that they're doing, right? So that's just one part of that. So that's now, I think, normalized for those departments, right? Uh, but that's also something, one layer of additional stuff that has to be reviewed. So, so if you've got. Uh, uh, an hour uh, uh, of uh, video camera from multiple officers or an hour and a half of video uh, uh, evidence there. Somebody has to review it to make sure everything is there, what, what it needs to be. So that's added certainly more work for prosecution as we gather that for purposes of discovery so we can give it to opposing counsel. Uh, for law enforcement, it's turning on a camera, letting it run, loading it up into their, into their system. We have to kind of sort of sift through some of that in a way that they sometimes don't have to. So that's added, that review process on our side. Okay, so bringing it back to yeah. um, the, uh, this case with Buck uh, Buck, I mean, you would say, I guess it's not surprising to hear that sort of request well, for a continuance no. and to say, this is why. We just have a lot to go through. Yeah, uh, I mean, uh, you go, again, not going into the particulars of that particular case, but I mean, uh, certainly, uh, uh, Homicides and murders uh, take a different kind of uh, tack. Aggravated murders take a very different kind of tack, and uh, and you just need to make sure you go through that process, and uh, and and meet your obligations uh, and not violate the defendant's rights. And everybody is uh, uh, kept on a on a process that we just have to engage in with the court. And so so it's they just take longer. Those kind of cases take longer than your average case, uh, average felony would take. Yeah, and the hearing where, from what I understand, preliminary yeah. hearing, that's where, you know, you prove to the judge, hey, there is enough evidence uh, yeah. to charge this person. That's right. And doing uh, that, you know, and that's up not to a uncommon. year and a half after. Uh, it's not uncommon. Okay. And, uh, you know, it, it, some, some cases move faster than others. Other cases uh, can take longer. It's the evidence and the facts of each case that drives sort of the, the, the speed of that case, the issues that might be there. Some, one case may have... Uh, a series of uh, issues. Uh, another one uh, may just have one or two, and uh, and depending on who the uh, counsels are, depending on what the nature of the case is, uh, each case has sort of its own rhythm. But it is not uncommon for uh, murder cases and homicides to take a longer period of time to move through our system, just given what the gravity of the what is at stake.
On Monday, it was defense attorneys who asked to push back the preliminary hearing for their clients. At the time we're recording this, it's scheduled for February 3rd, 2023. That does it for us this week on KSL Plus. I'm Matt Rascone. We'll see you again next week. Thank you.